Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we're gonna be learning a lot about cyber insurance. Um, so I think that you know really the entire process of going from corporate America to really you know like doing your own thing and and building something meaningful. So I guess without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Joshua Mota. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So originally you were born and raised in Kansas. So how was how was life there growing up in Kansas City? Uh, yeah, life was life was maybe a bit boring, but you know that, <laughs> that gave all the more time to, to to focus on fun things like technology. Got it. Because obviously now you are in the in San Francisco. So I mean, how how yeah. different? You know, would you say, especially for the folks that maybe are listening in 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 the Bay Area that are just wondering, you know, how how different is Kansas to to being there in the Bay Area? <laughs> Uh, look, looking back, I, I, I appreciate it far more now as an adult than I did as a teenager. Uh, wonderful place to grow up, uh, idyllic life, but, but certainly don't have access to, to all the different resources you have here in a city like San Francisco, for sure. Got it. Well, you did have at least access to technology and that was your outlet. So tell us about this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was, um, I was, I was a lazy teenager. I mean, I'd like to say I was, I was hardworking, but you know, waking up at three or four in the morning to do the paper route never appealed to me. Uh, and so technology was the outlet. I, I started, uh, I started as an entrepreneur. I started with the help of some family members, uncles, um, self-taught myself HTML and some other programming languages, started building websites for local realtors and businesses. And one thing led to another. And my co-founder and I found ourselves being, you know, acquired and employed by Microsoft. So my, I'm proud to say that my first job was not running a newspaper route. It was, uh, it was programming for, for Microsoft at the tender age of 15. That's amazing because you guys were powering doctoys.com and that's how everything started yeah. uh, with a yeah. legacy. No? Yes, that's right. Yeah. It, it just so happened that uh, one of our clients was featured in a Microsoft publication that led to us being featured. And then uh, one of the most senior Microsoft executives, uh, Jeff Rakes, was who himself had grown up in Omaha, Nebraska, not far from us, uh, sent us an email, took time out of his day to congratulate us on what we built. And that email ultimately led to, uh, you know, becoming, I, I think at the time we were, I was the youngest person to have worked at Microsoft. I'm, I'm sure that record has since been shattered, but, uh, but, uh, it was, it was a really fun experience. That's amazing. 
and you were literally 15 years old and you had your own business and your own clients and all of that stuff? Uh, yes. So, <laughs> or not. I mean, I'm asking you because I think at 15 I was playing PlayStation and doing the paper route that you were mentioning earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's amazing. So how, how was the experience of Microsoft? It was wonderful. Look, Je Jeff and everyone at Microsoft was incredibly gracious. It was a, a formative experience in my life um, and, and really set me on a different path. I mean, Obviously, having Microsoft on your resume and, and being the youngest person to have worked there opened up a number of doors for me later on in life. So uh, I am uh, I'm grateful for the experience. I'm, I'm grateful that, you know, Jeff took time out of his day to send a congratulatory note to someone who he didn't know. Got it. And then you obviously did some experiences with Sprint, with Honeywell, and, and that really led you to, to the University of Chicago. Yes. Yeah. So... Um, I worked in a number of uh, jobs th throughout school, wanted to stick closer to home into Kansas where all my friends were. And so I uh, was fortunate enough to, to enroll at the University of Chicago and, and also simultaneously uh, join the Central Intelligence Agency, which was a, another formative experience of my life, kind of exposed me to a very different side of technology and, and how it's used in, in sort of uh, the CIA's mission uh, to protect the country. So what, what were the kind of stuff that, that, that you were doing there? I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah, so uh, I, I guess this is where you, you typically invoke the typical phrase of if I told you I'd have to kill you, but no, I'm not. <laughs> hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully not, yes. No, I, a number of mundane things from just analysis of, of you know, a country, how other countries are using information technology in, in a way that's either beneficial or not to, to the U.S., and uh, also working operationally on, on different information operations. Got it. Got it. So then obviously now you were exposed to this and it seems like quite exciting, especially, you know, coming out of school. So so why did you decide to go to the financial services, which seems a little bit more boring than, you know, CIA stuff? Yeah, it, you know, it definitely sounds boring. Um, you know, I, I feel like at some level I was a victim of my own age. So I, you know, I joined CIA younger than most do. And, and to do some of the more fun things, you know, you had to be, uh, I, you know, in your mid twenties, I want to say. And so as, as opposed to kind of wait around for that, for that, um, you know, I decided to just go out and, and try another job, try another role. And, uh, I ended up working for Goldman Sachs in London, uh, on the investment banking team, still focused on technology companies, but again, really just, uh, exposed me to a, a very different way of looking at the world and, and one that was maybe more measured by risk than, than perhaps just kind of technical accuracy. Got it. Um, and, and it's really the culmination of, of all of the things that I've done that have, that have led me to where I am today. Got it. And obviously the, um, you know, probably the most meaningful experience, you know, I, I think that all of them, you know, were probably meaningful, but one that really shaped you was uh, being able to be part of Cloudflare. But uh, before we talk about Cloudflare, I want to ask you, because you did a little bit of investment banking, you did also private equity. So on mm -hmm. investment banking, you were able to see really how you were able to package companies and how to make deals happen. And then perhaps on the private equity side, maybe you were a little bit more involved into understanding all the pattern recognition of what makes, you know, some deals, you know, have really good potential down the line. So can you expand a little bit more on what you learned from the investment banking experience and then also from the private equity experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like you said, um, gave a very good understanding of the fundamentals of, of what is a good business, um, what's an investment worthy business, um, pattern matching to, to understand uh, which, which are great and which are not. I'd say the other fundamental thing that it helped with was just thinking about risk. 
um, you know, at, at some level, whether in private equity investing or, or in investment banking, it's you're making risk calculations all the time, um, you know, maybe, maybe without realizing it, but it gave me a deeper appreciation for kind of that risk calculation, which is at the core of, of obviously what we do in cyber insurance today. Got it. And could you, could, could you expand on calculating risk? How do you do that as a founder? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, as, as a, as a founder, uh, you know, running, running a cybersecurity company, uh, is, is very similar to, to running any type of company, right? You know, you need customers and in order to get them, you need to understand and solve their problems. And so whether, you know, whether you're an analyst in an investment banker in private equity, you know, fundamentally what you're trying to do is understand the endogenous and exogenous factors weighing on that company. Um, you need to understand their customers. You need to understand the problems that that company's customers have and assess the, that company's ability to meet them. And so, you know, obviously where those things match up, customers have, you know, significant problems, maybe sometimes intractable problems. You have a company that has found a novel way to solve them. Not only are those great investments, those are great businesses. So I've always tried to think uh, as an investor, even as an entrepreneur, because at, at some level, maybe we're not investing our capital, we're investing something more precious, which is our time. Yeah. And, you know, every entrepreneur has a finite amount of time. So, you know, you better be damn well certain that you're investing that time along, uh, you know, in the most productive way. Got it. And you obviously did a very good job at investing your time because when you gave up your uh, role there with a private equity firm, you joined a company that was just 20 employees and now that company is valued at $5.3 So you definitely knew where to invest the time. So tell us about the experience with yeah. Cloudflare. Yeah. I mean, look, I was... Uh, I, I grew up and and was one of the first users of the modern internet. It was you know core to my my being and you know the mission of Cloudflare was from the start build a better internet. That's a mission that that hasn't changed to this very day, and it's something I'm proud to say that looking back you know the, the company's done um, in a, in a very meaningful way, and so you know, I've always viewed it as it takes as much time to achieve a large vision as it does a small vision. And so that's been something else that's really been impactful for me as an entrepreneur that was very impactful for us at Cloudflare. You know, we literally, as a 20-person startup, believe it or not, we were out to rebuild the internet and to build a better internet. And today, I think Cloudflare is used by, I, I forget the last statistics, but I think over 17 million websites. Um, so it's been quite impressive what they've achieved, uh, starting with only 20 people. Wow. So I guess uh, you were really part of of all that uh, incredible growth. I mean, right now they have like over a thousand employees, five point three billion market cap. So I guess you know, for you from that experience, what were your biggest takeaways? Yeah, my my biggest takeaways, you know, the vision was one. Um, again, big big visions. It takes you know, none of us at Cloudflare worked any less because we were working on a uh, working towards a small vision. It was large. I think the other was that mission is important. Um, you know, companies are, are groups of people who are all highly focused and talented working towards a common objective to the extent that, you know, you have a, a mission that you can get very talented people to buy into, whether that's building a better internet in the case of Cloudflare or solving cyber risk in the case of coalition, it goes a long way to recruiting the, the groups of people you need to build incredible companies. And, you know, the narrative, it's important. Um, the way in which you talk about your mission, you tell your story. Um, I found that people, whether they're 
prospective employees, customers, you know, stakeholders, the general public, they're far more apt to buy into why you do something than what. Like if, if I was to describe to you what Cloudflare did, everyone would be snoozing by the end of this podcast. Um, the why Cloudflare is doing it, you know, that's what's powerful. So those are some of the, I think, the key lessons that I took away and have incorporated into, into Coalition. And then as an entrepreneur, how do you find your why? Yeah, you know, how you, that's unique for everyone. I mean, in, in my case, you know, I, I guess you could say I've taken somewhat the Renaissance uh, approach to life, you know, software engineer at Microsoft, CIA, investment banking, you know, to, to the lay person, maybe it doesn't appear that there's any connection between these things. But from my perspective, the coalition is the culmination of these things. We're bridging the technology world, the intelligence world from a data collection perspective and the financial services world we offer insurance or a risk transfer mechanism by bringing all of these different experiences that I've had together um, to really try and solve a problem in a novel way. I mean, I've, I've always referred to it as first principles thinking. And, you know, that was one of the other valuable takeaways. I think at Cloudflare, we were very good about not thinking by analogy, not looking at what everyone else was doing. We wanted to blaze our own path and really try and tackle and do things that no one else thought was possible. And obviously, the um, your route as an entrepreneur started with a, with a former colleague from Goldman Sachs that was uh, trying to convince you. And you know, at the third time, third time is a charm. So uh, tell us about this. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, he, he on a number of occasions had tried to get me to to leave my place of employment and join him. Had you know offered me twenty million dollars to go set up a com- whatever company I wanted to. And, and believe it or not, I, I told him that I just I didn't have an idea. Um, which, which maybe seem, it seems crazy to me that I would have said that at, at the time, but it was just so busy building Cloudflare and obviously had such a respect for him. I didn't want to lose his money. Um, you know, the third time he, he brought me the idea. Um, he brought me the idea, he brought me the team, uh, and I was sold and I'd always wanted to work with him. And, and so, you know, my, my route to setting up a company was, was perhaps a, a bit easier, someone offering to give me money to go start something. Uh, and so I'm, I'm humbled as a result of it, but, uh, I think that's been a common theme in my life. People, you know, people kind of taking an interest in paying it forward, whether it's Jeff Rakes at Microsoft or Alexander Tomas, who was at the time at DST, but is now at his own fund, VY Capital. Um, I've been blessed to have people who've, who've been willing to invest behind me. So then what happened next? Yeah. So, so I, I left Cloudflare and I started a company called Redacted, um, Redacted was a was a cybersecurity company that I that I founded with a former chief security officer for Facebook and and another um, cybersecurity entrepreneur who'd started a company called Lookout, uh, and and so it was it was really inside of Redacted that we that we started to build the the initial building blocks of Coalition. Um, you know, ultimately, it didn't work out to build Coalition inside of Redacted, and so we we spanned the company out um, in March of 2017, and here we are today. I've, as one, you know, one of the larger uh, cyber insurance providers here in the U.S. Very cool. But that's uh, ty- kind of interesting. So, so you guys were actually launching two companies under the same roof. So, how was that possible? It wasn't. I think is the short answer. And so, um, you know, I think every uh, looking back, things always seem like they're they're smooth and they happen easily. Um, you know, this is one of those cases where they did not. Um, you know, it was it was very clear that one of my co-founders had a very different vision as to how to build the company than I did. Uh, and, you know, at, at the end of the day, it, it, it blew up. Um, you know, we found it very difficult to work with one another. Uh, it, it, it ultimately was in fact impacting the entire team. 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I may be overstating it, but that was certainly some of the lowest lows in, in, in my life personally, um, and professionally in, in terms of, of working it out. But, you know, I think I had, I had conviction for the idea. I, I was blessed to again, have a, a bunch of people who are, who are have far more wisdom than I do, um, who helped kind of see us through that situation, uh, and who helped us, you know, the, our investors were also very supportive of us splitting the companies in two. And so ultimately it manifested itself in, in me leaving the company with a handful of other individuals who, who were focusing on the cyber insurance idea. The same lead investor who took me out of Cloudflare to fund me uh, at Redacted did uh, perhaps the crazy thing and decided to do it again at Coalition and give me even more money to go start yet another company. Um, you know, even even kind of working through the the difficulties I was having with with uh, with the other co-founder. And it, look, perseverance paid off. I mean, there was a point in time which I just didn't know if I had the will to go out and start another company. Um, you know, that was maybe the first major setback, I, I think for me career-wise. And I definitely can't say I was terribly prepared to, to take it, especially after having, whether it's a, lo- luck, a run of luck or otherwise, in sort of my previous endeavors, this was really the first hardship or, or kind of adverse event I'd run into. Yeah. But, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you just have to keep your optimism, keep your conviction for what you believe in. And um, I was fortunate that the other employees at at Redacted, who who started with this idea, believed in me, and were also willing to leave into the unknown uh, to start to start Coalition. And I'm sure that for you, this was a quite an emotional roller coaster. Um, and I guess, you know, from 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 this experience, you know, like what what did you learn about like being able to? Because I'm sure that you know when you have these types of disagreements, I think that you really need to take communication to a whole nother level to find a path forward. So how did you do that in your case? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to say that we did it necessarily well. I mean, we, you know, anytime you have lawyers involved in your communication, you're probably going down the wrong path. And, and that, that was the yeah. path that we were on. But, you know, I, I think in terms of, um, guiding those who I was leading inside of redacted to, to, to leave the company with me and start it again, it, it came back to having like a very clear sense of purpose, um, of what we wanted to accomplish, um, what we wanted to do, why we were doing it. You know, in, in, in my particular case, I'd spent almost my entire life at the intersection of technology and mathematics. Uh, I'd gotten to see a lot of, you know, by virtue of being at CIA, a lot of the horrible things that other countries were doing to the U.S. and not the U.S. government, as everyone expected yeah. with warfare, but American companies. And, and ironically, again, after having all these experiences, I felt like we could do more to help American companies uh, withstand you know, technological risks, cyber attacks, things of this nature as an insurance company than we ever could have working inside of a three-letter agency. Um, so per- perseverance and in, in, in belief and really trying to solve a problem in a novel way, that that was kind of the, the keys to to surviving that and, and guiding everyone else along with me. And, you know, believe it or not, over 65% of companies fail because of co-founder issues. Yeah. So I think oh, I that you were very lucky to, to be able to, 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 to pull it, you know, together and continue moving forward. I guess, you know, just for the folks that are listening that maybe are thinking about, you know, joining a co-founder or bringing a co-founder on board, you know, what would you tell them? Yeah, look, I mean, bringing a co-founder on board, it's, it's like getting married. Um, it is a marriage. And in, in fact, you will spend more time with that person than you will your own spouse. That's sort of in many respects been my experience. And some of the conversations you're having on a daily basis are, are far more difficult because you're, you're just constantly in a, in a, in a place of stress. 
So, you know, the, the way I've looked at hiring a co-founder is that the best co-founders will make your highs twice as high and your lows half as low. You know, if, if you found yourself in a relationship with a co-founder where that's not happening, you know, where you can't share the highs with them, they don't augment it or multiply it and where, you know, sharing the lows with them makes things twice as bad, not half as bad. You know, that's a sign that, um, you have, that there are problems that need to be addressed. Wow. So that's sort of always been my litmus test from then on as to how I, how I choose co-founders. Well, I have to tell you that that is super profound. Your highs twice as high and your lows half, you know, the low. So, I mean, it's a, I think it's totally accurate and I, and I love that. So, so Joshua, let's talk about coalition. So yeah. here you go, you know, you finally, you know, go into the unknown with this, uh, with this, you know, group of, 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 you know, colleagues from from the previous company now they're joining you yeah what what happens next i mean here you guys are like what what's the future i mean how did you go into into that unknown yeah look we i think we saw a problem a very large problem that that you know we were all passionate about addressing and and that's that like if you take a step back which is always useful when you're you know thinking about setting up a company and you ask yourself like what's going on in the world I saw a graphic in the Economist magazine. It was, you know, the geological timeline of the earth, 4,500 million years old. And there's this small red dot in the bottom right that says you are here. And, and it was thought provoking, right? It's like our species hasn't existed for a terribly long time. But if you think about it, the story of our species is really one of technological creation and adoption. And the reasons for that are, are pretty obvious. Like the productivity benefits of technology are massive. Um, you get them immediately, you know, and, 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 as a result, the evolution of technology has been staggering. I, it took 68 years for 50 million people to fly in an airplane and only three days for 50 million people to download Pokemon Go. Now they're flying around in airplanes capturing Pokemon, so it's full poetic justice. But what, you know, while that was amazing, what we also realized is that with all the benefits of technology come these new risks. And there's not a company in the U.S. today, no matter what sector of the economy, that isn't dependent upon a working computer, a working internet connection, and access to their data. And if you take any one of those away, much less all of them, it can be existential. It can be company ending. And even if you're not a tech company, um, you know, as we're seeing with kind of this, this uh, epidemic of ransomware, it's been devastating, um, particularly to small and medium businesses that don't have the resources to really react or, or survive it. And, and so that was the genesis of Coalition. We wanted to solve cyber risk. However, solving cyber risk for us wasn't like it was at these cybersecurity companies, which is like solving security failures. We knew that no matter how much technology you invest, uh, how much money you spend, you know, bad things were going to happen to good companies. And, and again, that's because like solving a technology problem with more technology is just, it doesn't make any sense. It's circular. We didn't view cybersecurity as a technology problem. We viewed it as a risk management problem. So jo Joshua, so then... How were you guys really making money with this? You know, with this problem that you guys, uh, you know, were able to see there, you know, like, and, and the cyber, you know, risk and, and, and all of this stuff. Like, how were you guys yeah. like, okay, and this is how we're going to be monetizing. Like, what ended up being really the yeah. business model? Yeah, well, the irony is, like, it's, it's really difficult to make money selling cybersecurity, especially to small businesses, because most of them don't think they have the issue. And they, you know, if they choosing between spending a dollar growing their company and a dollar in cybersecurity no one's really been successful. Um, that's where it's like the epiphany was let's sell an insurance product. Let's pool this risk across the tens of millions of companies, small businesses in the United States. You know, let's charge any individual one, a relatively small amount of money. <clears throat> and so let's make it affordable 
Insurance is something that businesses are used to purchasing. In many cases, they have to purchase. And so let's monetize that way. Let's monetize by selling the insurance product. Let's, by in doing so, uh, create literally a coalition of businesses that share the same risk, pool together the insurance premium, the capital that they give us, and use that to then build the software, build the technology, give them the data they need for free to protect their companies. And then the beauty of it as well is that our incentives are aligned with theirs. You know, we have an active incentive to try and give them technology that helps them prevent losses because the lower the losses they suffer, the, the more profitable and more competitive is the insurance. Very cool. So how did you guys go about raising the money? Because you guys have raised quite a bit. How much have you raised so far? Uh, we have raised 45 million so far. And so then can you tell us a little about the financing? Like, how did you go about it? What, I mean, obviously this is, this seems to be like quite innovative. So maybe like something that maybe investors were not as used to uh, seeing, right? So, so how were they, you know, what yeah. were the typical concerns and what were the typical expectations that you were seeing? Yeah. I mean, you know, typical con the concerns were like, how is a startup going to sell insurance? You know, normally you, you, insurance companies are worth tens or hundreds of billions of dollars. They've been around since 1792 you know, or 1831. Um, you know, why is anyone going to trust coalition to provide insurance? And, and, um, and so, you know, the, the typical questions there, uh, how are we going to get access to customers? Um, you know, this is a, Commercial insurance is entirely sold by insurance brokers. And of course, those relationships are all owned by these big incumbent insurance companies. And so our, our answer was, you know, one, that we weren't going to fight the system. We were, we were going to join it. And so we actually partnered with a number of insurance companies founded in 1700 and 1800s. Uh, you know, so we work with Swiss Re and Lloyd's of London and a number of other insurers that I think give us the credibility and the financial backing to, to take risks and for companies to trust us, all the while companies getting the benefit of, of, of our innovative way of underwriting, of all these this technology that we're building, as I, as I mentioned. So that was one. The other was that in doing so, by combining insurance with the technology side of the equation, helping companies prevent risks, um, we also provide all the instant response services um, when companies do have an incident to mitigate them you know, we, we had effectively built a product that had never existed before. You know, normally insurance is just there to help you after something bad happens. Coalition had built something that helps you before to prevent the loss, during to help you contain it or put the fire out, because there really isn't a 911 if you're a victim of cybercrime. I mean, we are that 911 for our customers. And then the insurance product. When we took that, you know, to insurance brokers, you know, we knew that if we came to them and we said, hey, this product is 10% better than what these big insurance companies are giving you, they would have laughed us out the door. We had to show them that it was 10 times better um, and that it was really solving a critical customer need and also solving their needs. Um, we made it much, much easier for them to place cyber insurance. That's a process that used to take two weeks. We took it down to two minutes. And so now the broker was far more productive selling our product than anyone else's. I think those were kind of some of the keys to success and what we ultimately had to prove to investors. Got it. And obviously, in this case, you know, you guys have been growing quite a bit as well, the the team. So I'm wondering, like, for example, in yes. the in the past year, I think that according to LinkedIn, you guys have grown the team by 161%. So not, not bad at all. I guess for building a company of this nature, what were like the most immediate, let's say, hires that you needed to really make to make this thing work? Yeah, it was... Um... 
it was a bit, it's a bit more of a motley crew than you might have in your typical startup. I mean, you know, normally the most, the critical people are, you need software engineers. Um, and oftentimes, you know, the founder or founders, they're the product people, they're the visionaries, they're guiding what's built. And, and so that was no different from us. I mean, many of the first hires were software engineers to, to help us build our insurance platform, but we also needed in people in the, for, with ex, insurance experience, right? We needed people that could go and present credibly to the Swiss Rees and Lloyds of London's of the world and convince them that they should extend their balance sheet and their capital to us. I mean, we are effectively uh, choosing which companies get insured and they're the ones taking on the risk. And so that, you know, that really involved a, a team effort. And it was really at that focal point where people from the insurance industry, technology industry, and the intelligence community all coming together to solve this problem we were able to show these insurance companies that we truly had a novel way in which to assess the cyber risk of companies and that we could really build a, an unparalleled cyber insurance product of which they were all all thrilled to do. So, for example, like um, I'm just wondering, because obviously now the world that we live in is just changing rapidly uh, and you were alluding to it yeah. before. I'm wondering like how, you know, this this cyber risk that uh, people were not really accounting for before, how this is going to be increasing over time because i think that the you know many people say that the next uh, war is not going to be like with people with guns it's really going to be with people you know like uh, with cyber with cyber stuff so so how, how do you see this happening yeah i mean I, look i agree i mean i think that cyber risk or, or technological risk more broadly is now the most pervasive risk facing our society um and maybe, you know, close second to climate change, uh, which probably impacts everyone as well. The thing is, is that the severity is also growing. So not only is it pervasive, but when technology fails or, or when technology is used in, in a negative way, whether it's warfare or whether it's compromising someone's privacy or disinformation, election meddling, um, you know, the, the severity is growing and the dependency on society and technology is also growing. And so it's, you know, it's a recipe for a, a significant challenge um, facing not just businesses operationally, but facing our society at large. Um, you know, how do we how do we harness technology for all the positives and how do we mitigate and manage the negatives? Uh, sadly, I don't think we have an answer. Our, our answer is to try and price for them and to try and help people survive them by pooling risk together. Got it. And in this case, obviously now, you know, you've, you've just gone from like early stage to growth stage. So what does that, you know, shift, uh, look like? Uh, it's, it feels like a blur as, you know, as you mentioned, we, we started with four employees. Um, you know, we now have over 80, uh, that's happened in the span of two years. Um, it's remarkably quick. And, and so I'd say, you know, one of the most difficult things is, is keeping a coherent culture keeping a coherent mission. I mean, because by definition, if you're more than doubling the size of your workforce, half of them have been there for less than a year, um, you know, if you're doubling in any given year. And so, you know, we've tried to be very deliberate as to how we expand, but uh, it's it's really been, uh, I'd say that the core change in going from kind of the early stage to growth is it's trying to maintain the efficiency we had. Um, a lot of people think that a greater number of employees is better. I mean, it's remarkable what we did with the first seven employees we hired. I mean, we with seven employees, we built the entire core of what exists today. And I would say that, you know, adding 70 more, um, it, it definitely has not allowed us to, to expand our productivity linearly. That's for sure. So focusing on 
that that core cohesion of the team's culture of the mission, making sure like we're all we're all driving towards the same things and holding one another accountable to each other. That's become far more important um, and far more challenging as a growth company than it ever was as a startup. And you know, when I think about culture, and obviously when you are at a at a growth stage, culture is everything. You know, a growth early, whatever that is, yes. you know, culture is always everything. I, I'm, you know, when I'm thinking, when I heard you, you know, speaking, and especially, you know, where you're coming from and where you're where you're heading, there's one word that keeps coming, you know, to mind, and that is alignment. Uh, and I guess, how yeah. did you get that alignment, you know, of 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 everyone? And you know, you were when you were talking at the core, you know, to me, you know, it was alignment. What it was like really coming out, and I'm sure that that has been able to be translated from maybe those seven people for them to 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 influence or to inject that you know excitement as well on on the other 80 or or whatever that is so so how do you go about that alignment you know i i think so much of it is writing it down and that that sounds a little odd um but and perhaps it's as a result of some of the negative experiences i'd had or challenges i'd had but the first document we ever wrote at coalition was the culture document it was a list of the cultural ideals that were important to us that we wanted to promote uh, as values across the company and things that we thought were critical to, to being successful in a small company that's growing quickly with, you know, the world changing quickly on the outside. And those were, those were, um, you know, cultural traits like hu humility, um, authenticity, as I've mentioned before, like refusing to follow what others are doing, blazing our own path and staying authentic to our vision, you know, first principles thinking, um, you know, not hiring assholes, like, Hiring assholes, and, and I apologize if this is a PG thirteen rated podcast. <laughs> but, no uh, worries. It, you know, it's uh, it, it, there's no sure way to kill morality and to lose people than than to do that. Um, and so, writing things down is really another way of saying be deliberate. Um, we had to be very deliberate about everything. So, the culture doc was written even before the business plan was written, but we also wrote a business plan, and and for a lot of people. That was in, that's in slide format, right? Uh, you see the business insider sharing whatever slide deck got someone some massive funding round. For us, it was a 70 page business plan. Um, like it was long form. We wrote it out, we documented it. And, and so I, I think, you know, it comes down to being deliberate to writing things down. Um, and it's surprising how many entrepreneurs and how many companies don't do that or skip that step because it just seems unnecessary. It's, It takes too much time. You know, we're, we're moving fast and breaking things. Um, you know, for, for us, slowing down to do those things, uh, I think has helped us considerably in this growth stage. Uh, and we're now moving much faster than we, I think we otherwise would have had we not been deliberate from the start. But those are the lessons in, in learned, those are the lessons learned in previous startups where we, where we made all those mistakes. <laughs> and I definitely like the, the a-hole, a uh you know, lesson and, and, and principle there as part of the culture doc. But I'm wondering, for example, I mean, because the thing is that when you get one of those a-holes, they're like a cancer, you know, they, they, they can really destroy, you know, what you've really worked so hard to create. So how do you sniff out those a-holes, you know, on interviews? Yeah. I mean, we share the culture document with everyone. Um, we have, you know, it's, it's like, so every, it's setting expectations at some level, like this is how we operate. I think, a lot of it too is, is just setting the appropriate incentives. You know, there's a lot of pressure, especially with these superstars and, and, you know, people who, who think very highly of themselves, like they're, they're always wanting to bend the rules to do things differently, et cetera. You know, we, we've made it sort of a practice to where you have to be willing to give up something to join coalition. 
right? Like you're not going to make as much money as you did in, in your former role at Facebook or Netflix or, you know, some large insurance company. Um, you know, you're going to have to make a sacrifice. And, you know, we, we call it an IQ test. Um, it's, it's maybe not truly an IQ test. I don't think that the people that don't join us are, are, are stupid by any means. Um, it's really an IQ test, though, for do you fit with our company? And so we try and deliberately in the interviewing process uh, and throughout every engagement we have, even down to the offer letter, we try and put people in a position to where you have to want to be here. You have to be passionate about the mission. Because if all you're looking to do is, is you know, be a mercenary and maximize you know, your own personal gain, um, this is by far not going to be the best offer you get and not going to be the best place for you. So we have deliberately tried to make Coalition a horrible place to work you know, if you happen to fit those traits. Got it. Got it. Very cool. And, you know, one of the uh, questions that I typically ask the guests that come on the show mm -hmm. is that, you know, now you have quite a bit of experience. I mean, all these companies, you know, all this time that you've been, you know, building and scaling and all this money as well that you've raised. I guess, you know, my question here would be if you had the opportunity to go back in time and then, you know, have a chat with the, with that younger Joshua, you know, maybe that younger Joshua that was uh, about to launch, you know, the second company, not when you were in your teenagers, because teenagers don't really listen, you know, maybe a little bit, you know, when you were a little bit more mature, uh, what would be that one piece of business advice, knowing what you know now that you would give to your younger self before launching a business and why? I, you know, for me, my biggest regrets are always around not taking enough risk and not doing so earlier. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, knowing what I know now, I would have told myself to, to do that. Um, setting up my own company, whether it was as a teenager or more recently, it's been the most enriching life experience for me. It's, it's allowed me to learn new things, um, to really grow as an individual, you know, even, even outside of a business context. And it's, it's something I wish I'd done much, much earlier. And, you know, particularly for, for those who are debating, you know, and going down the path of investment banking or private equity or management consulting or, or, you know, any other like wonderful career path for, for highly skilled and, and smart people. Um, you know, I, I, I wish I had gotten out of that much sooner. Um, <laughs> so that's what I would have told the old Joshua, which would be to skip that and go straight to straight to building companies and don't fear, love it. don't fear it. Don't fear the risk. Um, you know, just persevere. That's it. That's it. So, uh, Joshua, for the people that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? Yeah, absolutely. I'm on I'm on Twitter, Joshua Mata, M-O-T-T-A. My email is joshua at coalitioninc.com. Probably shouldn't give out my mobile number, but if you want it, you can you can tweet me or or email me. Amazing. Well, Joshua, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.